Financially Super Train, episode 159. If you're listening to this as they come out, we are in November 2023. If you're listening to this six months, two months, three months, a year later, two years later, five years later, we're in November 2023 as I'm recording this right at the start. And uh, daylight savings time just happening, so I'm using my extra hour to record these links. So I'll be able to record these links and still have an hour, maybe to record some more links. Eventually, Super Train, the short-lived TV show podcast. Well, a short-lived TV show podcast, I apologize. We cover short-lived TV shows that never got enough love. Eventually, we will cover Super Train. In this one, we are still in the two-segment format at this time, and we will be in that until the end of 2023. Uh, February 20, We take January 2024. I'm going to say this every episode until the end of 2023. January 2024, we always take January off. I always take January off. My co-hosts take January 2024 off from, from me. And back in the first half of February, episode 1... Oh, where will we be? 159, 60, 162, 163? I believe, will go up, and it will be back to the three segments. We'll be doing Season 2, Episode 1 of Max Headroom, Episode 11 of Monster Squad, and Episode 1 of a brand new old show with a new guest host who I think you are going to enjoy. So we are on Max Headroom Season 1, Episode 4, Security Systems, and Monster Squad, Episode 7, The Astrologer. Tim S. Turner is joining me for Max Headroom, and I'm flying solo on Monster Squad. And let me... Play. I'm saying and a lot, and I guess, I guess this is sort of one all, all one continuous thing, right? So using the and in between sentences is, isn't a terrible. It's not the grammatically, it's not the best, but um, I suppose I could edit them out. Oh look, I didn't. Oh well. And what's up next? No, and sorry, I'm gonna stop. We're gonna start off with Tim S. Turner and myself. Then we're gonna go to Monster Squad, and we're gonna have a great time. Listen to this. Security Systems, Max Headroom, Season 1, Episode 4, written by Michael Cassatt. Uh, April 21st, 1987 is the air date, directed by Tommy Lee Wallace. Hmm, I just actually listened to the uh, Halloween 3 Season of the Witch commentary with him on it uh, a few days ago, as we're recording this on November 5th, you know, about a week ago. I, I listened to that. And let's see, what happens in this episode? Um, uh, there's a big um, security system company called Security Systems, Apparently, uh, there's going, someone is going to be buying it. Carter's trying to find out who is going to be buying it. Uh, but he gets up obviously much too close to something, and suddenly his identity profile is sort of uh, screwed with, and he's charged with credit fraud, which is, in this, in this time period, a crime, as Murray says, worse than murder. And so he kind of goes on the run, and he has to infiltrate security systems and find out what's happening, restore his profile. There's an AI and two weird twins that sort of run everything, so he needs Max's help. He needs Murray's help. He needs um, uh, Theora's help, Bryce's help. He needs the help of those two people whose name I've forgotten, Reg, Blank Reg, and Dominique, who we met in the last episode. He needs all their helps to try to uh, get him inside security systems, find out about the takeover, find out about the AI, find out if he can fix his his credit rating and, and, and get himself made a proper human in the, in this world again. And um, and in the end, I think it's Max who really helps out there. But uh, I'm going to stop. Tim S. Turner and myself are on the other side of this bit of music. Security Systems, Episode 4 of Season 1 of Max Headroom. And I do want to say, folks, last time... I had some people ask me, hey, Dan, what was the, all that about? You were talking about a show from the mid-'80s, and then suddenly you're talking about uh, Camel's radio commercials from the 1930s and neuralgia and stuff like that. Well, first, if I have neuralgia, that's none of your business. Actually, I'm not 100% sure what neuralgia is. But I forget what I was saying. Oh, yes. No, my, my main point in doing all the advertising stuff was in the very first episode of Max Head, and we have blipverts that are ads that move so fast they can cause you to explode. They can cause you ads that can cause you to die. Back in the 40s, Camel, during Abbott and Costello, was basically selling you stuff through ads that would kill you, but 30 or 40 years down the line. 
So people watching these episodes of Max Headroom in the mid-80s may have been suffering from cancers accrued from the commercials they watched years before. At the same time, they might be watching Blipverts and going, Ha that's crazy. Ads can't do that. <laughs> oh, boy. Oxygen is the best. So that's where I'm beginning this one. And this is going to be lighter than all that. I just wanted to start off with that. So I, I bring on board someone we all know and love. Mr. Tim S. <laughs> Turner. Tim, how are you? I love you, too. <laughs> He's here, ladies and gentlemen. And we are going to dive right in because last time we went all over the map. And, and so this time we're going to try to keep it laser-focused. Security systems. What do you think about episode four of Max Headroom? And I'm going to have a sip of water. And don't you stop talking while I'm drinking my water. I'll be right back. Uh, I I enjoyed security systems. I, it, it was, again, it was another step in the right direction. I think that uh, as we had, we had discussed when we did uh, Rakers uh, way back uh, in episode two, I, I think that was just such a weak early episode. But to me, since then, I I think that the, the trajectory has been in a more positive direction. Um, <clears throat> it's definitely got it's got some uh, some great lines in it. Uh, you know, an interesting plot twist. Uh, uh, it's curiously. Uh, sexually charged scene between two computer programs. Uh, <laughs> yes. And yeah. uh, and uh, you know this thing, a company called Security System, or, uh, Security Systems, whose symbol is the SS. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which seems pretty appropriate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm 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 with you there. I th I think I think the show is 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 after the the dip of the second episode is getting better and better. And the um, I uh, it's it's it. I, I won't refer to my what I said the previous one that much, but there is something about like having this this huge company. I mean, I wonder if security systems will show up again because the way they describe it is like it has more information and more access than anything else in the world. And in the end, they seem to kind of put it to rest and everyone kind of moves on. So I wonder if like if it's going to come back. It doesn't really matter, but it's just a great. It's security system. It's this huge system. It's um there apparently it's going to be sold off and it's it's got this this. Uh, what is the name of the AI? A7. A7, A7 yeah, yes. is, is the artificial intelligence that sort of runs it, that flirts with Max, and Max flirts back. And um, and, uh, and and basically, I love it because it's, it's one of those security systems where there doesn't really seem to be anyone there, apart from the lady in charge, who might not be in charge anymore, a couple security guards who are competent to slightly incompetent, and two, like, <laughs> Basic like like twins who seem to do everything. In a, yes. in a, I I kind of like that because that has sort of um that has sort of a I, I don't I don't know it's kind of a mix of um very futuristic and very sort of low tech that like everything seems to be done by two like twins sitting in a room just punching in stuff on a computer and part of me kind of like feels that's something you might see on like a Twilight Zone. But but at the same time, it's almost it's something that you could actually do today. So it's kind of a mix of the two. I guess I guess the thing that makes it feel slightly odd is that they're not sitting with like laptops at a table. They're sitting surrounded by all the huge you know '80s computer banks and things like that, <clears throat> which which kind of is this this weird juxtaposition of two guys. Basic. Oh, and and again, let's let's do a Doctor Who reference: the twin dilemma. You have the two <laughs> twins in that episode whose mathematics can move planets but who can't act that well. I'm kidding. They're great. Um, I just being, I was being rude right there. Um, uh, we're Womulus and Wemus. Sorry. That's, that's a little twin dilemma gag for everyone. Um, but, uh, the, um, I, I don't remember what I was saying. Oh yeah. The, um, I, I liked, I, I liked the fact that, you know, like, um, uh, we have to take Edison Carter down. And so these two, you know, whoever they are at their computers ruin his credit rating. Boom. Yes. He's, yes. And I, I, I love the fact that the the um, and I don't think when I, I was still a I was still a kid when this aired in my teens, I didn't know what a credit rating was at that point. So if they said it was worse than like anything that could happen, I think, oh, my God, that's so terrible. Yeah, oh Chevy has God. got that great line, credit fraud. My God, that's worse than murder. Yes. 
Yeah, and I like that too because that's—I mean—that's part of the fun of the twenty minutes into the future, right? Is that is that it's so much about you know your money and how you spend your money and your and yeah, you, obviously if your if your credit rating is good, then you've been spending money the way the people in charge want you to, and if yes. it's bad, you're living in an alley. Or maybe living out of a, a mobile home, driving around running big time TV or something like that, you know. And and and, and, I, and I like the fact that this is this is a future where the worst thing you can do is have bad credit. I think that's very funny, and that seems to me almost like something that would come from the UK version rather than our version. That seems more of a UK kind of joke, but I could be wrong. Well, it definitely that's one thing I will say about the show is it it definitely feels like '90s BBC to me. Yes. Even though it's an 80s show, uh, it, it's got that kind of feel to it. So the whole idea that – and the creators were British, uh, so and the showrunners. Uh, so it, it does make sense that, oh, crap, your credit rating, that's like the worst thing that could ever happen. Yes. You know, that the, they literally like locked him out of his apartment, and he couldn't go anywhere. The cops were everywhere, which, by the way – um, who's running that police force? I mean, some of those cops look like they weighed like 300 pounds. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like, take that, I don't know if how threatened I am by this guy who can barely run after me. Yeah. I guess you uh, take, you take who you can get in the, um, 20 minutes into the future. Yeah. I, one guy looked like a, like a umpire, Eric Gregg. <laughs> <laughs> Just, <laughs> He's kind of struggling to run after Edison at yes, one point. Yep. I was like, "Wow, yep. don't hurt yourself, man." Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that was. Yeah, they're not. Um, yeah, it, it's it's a good thing they didn't have like uh, ray guns or anything because if they've been firing at him, you know, it would have just been a shot with Edison running and all sorts of random shots going off around him and getting nowhere near him. And you go, "Oh, they're yes. terrible! Oh, they're terrible!" Um, yeah, that's it's. <laughs> I, I guess they, they this might be a world where maybe like just just how how aghast they all were that credit fraud was going on. Maybe it doesn't that happen that often, and that's why that's why like no no respect self respecting person would do that, and so like the cops are like I gotta run, you know they're like what Hitchcock and Scully in Brooklyn Nine Nine. They're just two fat old guys yeah. sitting around. <laughs> Doing nothing. No one knows. Everyone, everyone. I mean, it could be one of the things with like those two characters is like it said like back in the seventies and eighties they did they kicked ass, and now they're getting near retirement. They just sit at their desks all day, you know, doing the jumble and microwaving things, you know, and <laughs> and so it's like every once in a while they get called out and they're just confused when they get called out. They don't know why. They don't know what's going on. So there's a scene. <clears throat> the whole thing is is this woman wants to get. Um, get control of Max, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, which I, I, I'm still kind of confused as to what, what that actually really has to do with her whole, uh, you know, Machiavellian scheme of taking over all security systems in the world. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but somehow Max figures into that. Uh, and so she has her own some somewhat version of Max called A7, mm -hmm. which has a female voice. And it leads to this scene of Max interacting with A7 and, you know, sort of trying to romance her. Yes. And there's dialogue in there that is hysterical, uh, you know, the, the highly sexual in nature. Yep. It's like, <laughs> are you going to insert your RAM? I mean, stuff like that. You're like, what? <laughs> I mean, yeah. holy cow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and the scene, honestly, is, is – hysterically funny it's very well uh executed both the writing and the the acting with uh matt mm -hmm. frewer and um uh what's the name of the woman uh sally stevens does the voice of a7 yeah. uh, and, and it's it's a really funny scene and it shows you know how good it can be when you really involve max in the story a little bit more mm -hmm. yeah yeah and 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 the uh, the the thing i love about that moment when max gets in there and starts talking to to her is just this great, um, this great feeling of uh, no matter what the bad guys do now, they're not going to accomplish much anymore. Because Max is in there and he's being suave and he's yeah, you know, they got it. It's it's over for the bad guys now. They shouldn't have let Max anywhere near their AI. <laughs> and uh, and I do I do like that great moment too where uh, where Edison goes in there and starts talking 
and she and it's like oh they they have the same voice so she listens to both of them and so max is max is is flirting with her while edison is actually getting the information they need and she thinks it's max and uh it's uh it's it's nicely done it it has a the episode has a really nice um because it because yeah because it yeah it starts off with you know who's going to be buying the security systems and then credit fraud and running around and craziness and and meeting the gang at big time tv again and just uh there's a lot of stuff that goes on and it builds up to this nice scene with the two computers talking to one another and giving Max a lot to do. So I think it's a, it's, it's a nice episode. Again, it gives us just a, a bit more of what this world is and what it sort of consists of. Yeah. And abs- yeah, I, I agree. Oh, and by the way, I, I just like to remind everyone that this episode of eventually super train is brought to you by Chesterfield preferred oh. by professional smokers everywhere. Chesterfield. <laughs> Chesterfield. Chester feels satisfied women and men. Mm-mm-mm-mm. I think like Arthur Godfrey sings that in one of their commercials, I think. Chesterfield over and over again. Uh, <laughs> Chester, everyone loves smoking, so get out there and do it. Do it now. <laughs> I love the, the phrase professional smoker. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Good Lord. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not like those amateurs out there. Yeah. Hold the cigarette like a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we, that's all we need. Get that weirdo out of here. Oh dear. Anyway. Uh, let's see. What, <laughs> let's see. Um, but it's, it's it's funny with this one. I um in the in the last one I went overboard in my talking about what I thought about this world and all the stuff, and I went so overboard that in this one, I find that it's tough to come up with stuff to say. Uh, <laughs> let, me, let me look again. Um. Well, uh... You know, again, I think what one of the things that makes this world work mm-hmm. is what they've kind of done successfully done is they've taken, you know, kind of like an escape from the Bronx slash Blade Runner mm-hmm. uh, world and kind of mixed it with either uh, like the Maltese Falcon and mm-hmm. and like the front page. Oh, yeah. yeah. Style worlds. Right. Because, you know, as quote-unquote high-tech as the Network 23 newsroom is, yeah. you've still got Murray looking like the frustrated yes. editor from 1944, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, Perry Perry White's cousin or something like that. Yeah, yeah. get me Kent, you know. Yeah, and, and Theora, uh, yeah. Theora's there always looking, always looking a bit like maybe she should be somewhere else. Like, like she's a little too... Um, well, she's a little too Amanda Paisley, and you always want her to, you know, be somewhere nicer. Well, she she always just seemed like way too smart to be doing what she's yeah. doing. Mm-hmm. Like, why isn't she the reporter? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. You know, yeah. And, and you got to hand it to her that an actress who spends fourteen episodes just staring at a screen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. she's she's really good at it. She is very good. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and yeah. sur- surrounded by all these people constantly moving around and um, Murray constantly about to, you know, flip his lid, as it were. And, yeah, um, and Murray never cares about what all the other reporters are doing, just him. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> oh, also, this episode though, gave a lot for Bryce to do. Yeah, Bryce is, yeah. Bryce he gets out of his little lab, little computer room and uh, gets involved in the caper, as yeah, it were. And go undercover as a scientist trying to get into the uh, the place there and everything. Yeah, yeah it was interesting because he gets some some dialogue where he's like, uh, you know, I'm experiencing emotions that I don't understand, you know. Like, <laughs> like he's like, yeah, that's called fear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. I mean, if he – um. Yeah, if he, if he was someone who was cultivated like from a very very young age, then he's probably just been yeah in, in a room, and the and the the most he will get around is maybe some anxiety from the older people who want stuff done. I was I always like those um those sort of worlds where um they have a they have like a technological system that can only be run by kids. Who designed yeah. the system? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I, 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 I mean, I like the concept that you know, like, like maybe it's, it's you need like a kid, um, like the imagine, like imagination of like a kid or something like that to, to keep it running. But at the same time, you think you would have built that into the system that you wouldn't need that, you know, like well, if you. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh uh, well, I, what I was gonna say was it's funny because like Bryce has a little, little scene there where he's like expressing regrets. Mm-hmm. Of oh I'll 
I'll never be able to, I don't know, like open a checking account or whatever. Like, you see stuff all these things. And you're like, what about love? Yeah. <laughs> what about a relationship? Yeah. It, like never occurs to him at all. Like when he's facing death that like, maybe I'd like to cultivate some relationships yeah. and you know, everything for him, uh, what he regrets is more like technical. Yes, exactly. Yeah, because that's that's all he he's. Because that's all done. he knows. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You wonder if like at the end of the series, like someone will will bump into him really hard and his face will fall off and he'll just be like a robot behind. Yeah, he'll <laughs> look Maybe. like Westworld. Oh, like his chest will pop open. It'll be all mechanics except for a human heart. Oh. Uh, and that's why they have to use him because they um because <laughs> because they they needed some sort of human type interface and whenever they made like a really old white guy, he was just annoying. So they just threw a kid in there. Kind of. <laughs> I mean, that makes sense to me. Yeah, okay. yeah I, 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 I just, I, I just the more I think about the Bryce thing, the more I mean, because, because like the the security systems has these two middle aged balding, I don't know if they're twins, but guys who look very similar who seem to control everything along with the the AI. But then, yeah, uh, Network Twenty Three or whatever has this this kid who. Uh, yeah, I, I was. I'd, I'd like to know how. Uh, I'm sure there isn't going to be an origin episode for Bryce, but I'd love to know exactly how. Because if it, if it's only 20 minutes in the future, then it couldn't have been something where like they like certain kids are born a certain way and they're trained. You know, like uh, forgive me to go Doctor Who again, but like Zoe, <laughs> Doctor Who. You know, she is she is meant to be her character is meant to be when we first meet her in the wheel in space. Everyone's a little uncomfortable around her because she's been bred in this society as basically a walking encyclopedia. She doesn't really have emotions. She does all. She knows everything, and she's like she's meant to be like eighteen, nineteen, something like that. And so she gets on everyone's nerves because everyone is like thirty or forty, and there's this young girl walking around who knows much more than they do, but who doesn't have emotions and who doesn't understand everything. She doesn't. I think she doesn't know like a matches or a candle or something in a later episode, you know. And when she goes and travels with the doctor, she she gets experience and she becomes part of the universe. And then the sad thing with Zoe. Sort of a Donna Noble variation is she sent back in time to the point right before she travels with the Doctor, so she in the end never has those adventures. Oh, I thought you were going to say since she's so she's in a continuous loop. Oh, yeah, maybe, maybe, but but the yeah, but the theory being that uh, yeah, she never has those adventures. But of course, I guess Jamie and Doctor Who it's it's worse off because Zoe goes back to her life where she's going to be a human encyclopedia in a slightly uncaring futuristic world jamie is put down in the middle of a field with a red coat with a gun so you know <laughs> yeah. may, maybe jamie's gonna have it a little rougher uh, which is too bad because they you know they both traveled with the doctor for quite some i don't know where i'm going here but you know what i'm talking about i'm just <laughs> saying that i'm just saying that uh, Zo Zo the character of like zoe comes from a world where they breed them like this and i i get the feeling that this is only 20 minutes into the future bryce wasn't bred like this he just showed an aptitude and they brought him on board, and then he's so clicked with the system that he's their man, their kid, their, their not their boy, their kid. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like those two tech guys you were talking about that uh, seem to be like the the, the security guys of, of security systems. Uh -huh. uh, I, I don't know that this is a reference. I mean, you'll probably get it, but I, <laughs> they totally remind me of the two guys military guys very similar in, in uh attack of the eye creatures oh yes yeah yeah like just sit there uh -huh. staring and they're constantly yep, yep, staring at, at a yep, screen at a screen yep and making inappropriate yep, remarks yep. about what's going on there's like oh there's two people making out in that car yep. Ooh, yeah yeah <laughs> yeah uh, and I, I was also they they slightly remind me of um uh variations of these um i forget in in the uh, 1980 flash gordon there yes. all those guys who sit at the screen. I think like they ripped the top, the wires or the top out of, it, of one of their heads or something like that at one point. I forget. It's been a while <laughs> since I've seen it. But that's sort of, it's sort of like that with just these two sort of happy-go-lucky guys who are just sitting there destroying people's lives. And you know, <laughs> as, as long as you know, as long as you know, I get my I get my sandwich and it doesn't have mayo on it, I'm okay. Ah, uh, you put mayo on it. I'm not going to follow your orders today and ruin someone's life. Yeah, they, oh. they they kind of give off that uh, uh, that that feeling of like every movie morgue attendant eating a sandwich. Exactly. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's funny. I watched uh, Night of the Creeps the other night oh, again, goodness. and there's it's great. Every time you see like the mortician or whatever in that, he is literally eating like the largest sandwich you could eat, and even even on site, like when like when the one guy goes up to the the um, the lead gal's window and his head explodes, and they're examining his head. He's sitting on the steps of the sorority, looking at this exploded head with this huge sandwich in his head. It's hilarious. <laughs> but yeah, you know, you're you're absolutely right. It has the feeling of that that sort of. Yeah, they're they're like they've been doing this awful thing for so long they don't re- realize, or maybe they do realize and they're just being jerks. I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Uh, what else do you have on this one? I mean, because I, I could probably because we got Bryce doing stuff and we got, and I do like like you said in the last one, it's nice that we're getting a decent supporting cast, a fun cast. Outside, yeah, outside. yeah. They uh, they have a. Uh a nice little universe that they've kind of started building mm-hmm. uh, where you're, you're like, Oh, okay. Now we've got different directions we can go into because we've got, you know, we've got Rick who's like the informant guy. You've got, you know, uh, Reg and Dominique who can help with uh, as outsiders in the technical realm, mm-hmm. you know, so there's lots of fun little things that are coming out and that's, and that's great. Um, I, I do wish that we we saw the Valerie Town character again, because mm. um, we don't. Uh, she yeah. just she's dragged out and arrested, and that's it. And there's <laughs> yeah. uh, they don't bring her back like they do with Grossberg later. Because um, mm. uh, I think she would have been kind of a, an interesting recurring villain if they yeah. uh, if yeah. they could have uh, decided to make something from that. But yeah, sort of the. Uh someone who keeps kind of reappearing to, to now go after Edison and Max and try to take them down specifically rather than, rather than these, the villains in these, which are just sort of the normal societal things that they're stopping to have an actual villain who shows up and like, you know, like maybe like a two-parter or something where they, Max and, and Edison think they're doing something that at the end they realize they've been tricked and they're in big trouble. And she's they're laughing at them. I did this all to catch you and get you in trouble. <laughs> So, overall, it's a fun episode, and the scene with the two uh, the two big time people dancing around in front of their truck. I've got that written down here is a lovely moment because it's it's just I oh like yeah, the, I like it because like like we said last time, there's sort of this weird not, not quite like an oasis, I guess, sort of a dirty punk rock oasis in the middle of this hole of a society. I was going to say hellhole, but I didn't want to use the word hell. Oh, hell. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 the reason I love the characters so much is because, um, yeah, they're on the underbelly of society, and, and they're called blanks because they don't exist in any of the government's computer systems. They've, mm-hmm. they've had themselves erased on purpose. Uh, and they're dirt poor, and they just operate this crappy little, uh, you know, uh, faux network from their van but they're happy yes and that scene of them dancing kind of doing like the the cha-cha or whatever uh-huh. they're doing uh is it's it's a sweet little moment yes with those characters it reminds you that not everybody's lives suck yes yeah exa- <laughs> exactly it's like if this were say uh like a theatrical max Hedrum movie that would be a lovely moment you see maybe halfway into it as we're as we're drawing as this episode is drawing up to like a big climax just have a moment in all the chaos and all the craziness and all the what the hell happened to the world you just have this moment where just two people are dancing and it's it's just sort of a lovely okay there's the humanity there's, you know, there's there's the moment we needed mixed in with all the people yelling at each other from screens and the strange stuttering guy who's who's only a head. <laughs> who's, who, uh, and, and again and again, Max, you know, he has the great scenes with with uh, is a seven and um, and he uh, but but he is also this wonderful he's sort of an accidental anarchic character. He just he's 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 sort of an anarchist in the system simply because he exists. He's well, not yeah yeah, which is great. Well, I mean, which is which is very obvious what he is. But I mean, you see all the commercials, right? We used to sell Coke and Pepsi and stuff, right? You know he's crazy, and um, but uh, uh, but but it's just it's 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 an interesting character because the show is named after him. But he's more, um, but obviously since he's only a head on a screen, he can't. Unless we do like a Matrix type thing, where we go inside his world, I don't know if we're ever going to do that. And maybe we could see him. Maybe he'll have legs. That would be fun. 
but but um, but it's 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 always interesting when like when you have a, I mean, I I don't want to, but how how about like say a show like The Incredible Hulk? How often was the Hulk? How often was Lou Ferrigno actually in those episodes? Four minutes, five oh, minutes yeah. an episode. It, it, most of it was Bixby. Yeah, and it's sort of like a Godzilla thing. You sit there waiting for the Godzilla stuff, and a good Godzilla, and I've said this before, a good Godzilla movie is one where you forget that it's a Godzilla movie. Because you have to, because Godzilla is only going to be in it for a short period of time. A good Incredible Hulk episode is one where you forget that you're waiting on the Hulk. And then when all of a sudden he becomes the Hulk, you're like, oh yeah, this is why I showed up. (laughs) And a good Max Headroom episode, four episodes in, is one where you are engrossed in it, enthralled by what's happening. And then Max shows up and you're like, oh yeah, there he is. And, and so that's that's the sign of a good and I think like like that the fracking episode or whatever that was from two episodes back <laughs> the the stinker thing about that is you sit there the whole time going gosh I'd like to see Max yeah where is he and that's and that's a bad thing like with if you're watching a Godzilla movie and you're watching the humans running around doing their stuff and all you're thinking is when is Godzilla gonna show up eh, that's a stinker that one didn't work but if you watch one and you're you're excited about whatever nonsense it is they're doing. Then, then it worked. Then they got it. And I think, I think the thing, like an episode like this in the previous one, and even Blip, well, Blipverse creates them, so that kind of leave that out. But the, this one in the previous one, I think, I think do that. And you like you, you when Max shows up, it's an extra treat on top of a delicious cake. You know, it's like, do you want whipped cream on that? Yes, yes, I do. And they give you a wonderful <laughs> Sunday. Think of, think of, think of the most wonderful Sunday you 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 could have, and then add a little whipped cream. That's Max. And it's just a nice little extra, yeah. And so, so so far, yeah. Apart from the stinky episode, I'm quite enjoying the show. Yeah, it, it's. Uh, I, I think it, it it holds up pretty well. Um, yeah. it, it's a lot of fun, and uh, I, I think that it's a shame that we didn't get more of it. Yes. Uh, uh, and I would have liked to have seen it maybe with um, maybe the network giving them a, like a, a little bigger budget. Yeah, because we're kind of the world is very small. Yes, uh, we're never told what the city is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you're just supposed to assume like a New York, mm-hmm. you know, or a Detroit or something yeah. like that. Uh, but we never are told what's the rest of the world like. Yeah, that's that's the thing. It's very sort of insular, which is which which can work for a while, but after a time. You're going to want – I mean, even the cheapest post-apocalyptic film began with, like, a uh, scrolling text. Right. Said, you know, After the bomb, the world was in, and, and then it takes you to one specific spot. But this one, I like the fact that they don't tell us exactly where it is. But after a time, it would be nice because it is becoming, like, the the main network room that we spend all the time in, that, that, sort, of, that sort of vague outside space, and lots of hallways – Oh yes, lots and, lots of hallways. Yeah, and so after a time, it would be nice to sort of expand out. Maybe they could go on a vacation. Maybe it's really nice outside. Let's say like Escape from New York. It actually ain't bad outside of New York. It ain't that bad. Um, maybe we just got to get outside of New York for a while. Not that this is New York, but you know what I mean. Like you know, <laughs> you, you know, Snake would have had a great time if he could have gone to South Dakota or something like that. You know, it's like it's like the movie The Last Chase with Lee Majors and Burgess Meredith. Mm-hmm. Where where he's in this in this uh, he's on the I think he's on the East Coast again he's in this awful world where there's no it's actually it's funny it's uh, the movie's actually pro oil which is a weird thing but um, but no one drives anymore because there's really no more gas or oil or anything like that and yeah Lee Majors plays a character in this sort of futuristic society who who finds like the last remaining car and wants to drive it again. And he gets caught in this chase, driving across country, getting chased, and and he wants to go to the West Coast, where it's basically looks like the West Coast now. And so you get this weird thing where, like, the in the center of the movie, where everything is set, it's horrible. This post-apocalyptic <laughs> police state, awful, corporations run everything. But then if you drive, like, a thousand miles to the West, it looks pretty much like a beach party movie. <laughs> so, 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 so I'm wondering if this world is like that, where like the people who have chosen to be here know it's like this, but there are also places in the world where they could go, where they could sit in the sand or have a nice house in the woods where none of this bothers them, or they could go to Alaska and fish or whatever the hell they do up there. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, when I when I watch the show, I kind of get a feeling of like the uh, the world of um, Judge Dredd. Oh, sure. Like okay. the mega cities, and yes. then there's that whole wasteland on the outside uh, where you know, like nobody wants to go. Yeah. Uh, I, I I don't know. It, it again, it, it's just the limits of 1987 network television. Yes. And budgets and everything. Uh, yeah. It's a shame that we really didn't get more. Yeah, you know, because I would and have liked to have, have, have seen well what what is out there. And I keep saying post-apocalyptic, but we don't actually know that, do we? If that's just I'm just saying that because that's what it looks like, or do we know that? Um, no, they've never mentioned a war, or or, something. or anything you know that has to do with um, the past. Yes. It, it's capitalism. Just, I don't know. What, what yeah, it's it? just this Important. is this is it. This is what exists. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, blah blah blah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I. Yeah. Huh. It's interesting. <laughs> the more we think about them, we, we're going to stop talking about security systems right now because I think we're going to have variations of this discussion during almost every episode, unless they give us more, then we can stop speculating. But until then, it's speculation of the wider world around this relatively small i mean it it would be funny like if if like we did something like at the at the um like maybe if i like at the end of the series it all turned out to be some big experiment or something and we're all like we're in the same like 12 block area like or something like that and they put all these people in there to see what would happen if they subjected them to this you know and like the the final shot is just like an overhead shot of the city and then the camera pans up and up and we see it's just this really tiny part in the u.s and it gets small. Maybe it's not even in the U.S. Maybe it's in like Russia or something like that. You know, it just gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. <laughs> you realize that the world is kind of still the same, but they've done this little experiment or something. And this character named Max got out. Maybe gets into the other computers around the world or something. I'm just doing what Max had him. I don't. I'm guessing probably didn't do. And I should stop. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> we got lots of episodes left. Uh, anything else on this one? Because I am good. Ah, uh, no. I think that's it. All right, I would like to ask you a question, Mr. Tim S. Turner. Absolutely. What, what are you doing online? What's going on? Well, uh, my co-host Kelly Hogaboom and I uh, host Beauty of the Beast and the Bees, and uh, this time we're going to be discussing Bo is Afraid and The Buzz is Back with Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Excellent. Everyone give a listen. I insist. <laughs> All right. And so that, that was the end of Security Systems. I would tell you what episode is up next, but I don't know. It's probably something fun, though. So tune in next time, everyone, and let's uh, let's go on to a little bit of Monster Squad. Monster Squad, Episode 7, The Astrologer, aired October 23rd, 1976. This one is written by Greg Strangis again and directed by William P. D'Angelo. And uh, this one stars Jonathan Harris as the astrologer who predicts an earthquake in California, which is where the Monster Squad takes place. And it looks like it kind of takes place in sort of central California. So I don't know, near the Big Sack, maybe? I don't, I don't know, Oakland, something like that. I, I'm not sure, but it, uh, it's not, it's not, it doesn't look like it's Los Angeles or San Francisco or like San Diego. It's kind of in, in looks like it looks like, uh, and I, I say this just because the, there's a bomb hidden in the episode and it's shown on the map as being kind of in central uh, California, like halfway in the middle, in the middle of the state. Drac is able to fly there relatively quickly. So boom and and the, the place they give old mcdonald's farms where the bomb is hidden they don't have to specify where it is so so i guess that 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 shows you where this this takes place i thought i would have thought it took place somewhere in like um the midwest or something or maybe los angeles from all these the shots of the monster squad van shooting down the street but no it does not uh i i, I guess it takes place i'm gonna say sacramento Maybe maybe like Oakland, but say Sacramento. Yeah, and this episode, and may I just say something? I never really noticed, but maybe I did notice. And maybe, but maybe it hasn't been there. Is it only there for this episode? I'm gonna have to double check. But on the um, top of the sort of coffin, sarcophagus thing where the crime computer is hidden, they have like a Mask of the Red Death skeleton kind of thing, a la 
Edgar Allan Poe, and I would say specifically with the red, the red robe and everything, like uh, 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 Roger Corman's Mask of the Red Death, which is pretty cool. Uh, so in this episode, uh, the guys are the monsters are getting on each other's nerves a bit, and they they are watching some TV. What's the matter, Bruce? Watch for her and come to a thing with it. Don't roll those bloodshot eyes at me, Drac. Can't you see I'm having a very serious problem? Dandruff. <laughs> you thought about shaving your head and shoulders? Then you could wear a wig. A bright wig! Gee, Frank, you've got quite a head on your shoulders. Whose is it? <laughs> I thought you could take a joke. You're always in stitches. Oh, yeah! Yeah! Oh, yeah! Yeah! Um, I believe I've heard enough of this bickering, gentlemen. You guys have been at each other's throats all night. Seems like old times. <laughs> well, if you want to continue this argument, you can do it in the dungeon. I want to watch the news. What about Mary Hopper? Tonight is when she and her husband cut high card for the custody of the hamster. <laughs> Good evening, news fans. This is Mimi Falters with your Million Dollar News. Tonight's headline finds Mr. Leo Torres, the asinine astrologer, at it once again. Every week, this arrogant Aries has a new outlandish prediction, and every week, like clockwork, his prediction is wrong. <laughs> well, he's really schemed about that, folks. And tonight, he is determined to break his record by being white. <laughs> Good evening, friends. Here I am again, your favorite astrologer, bringing you all the latest from the world of stars. I am the penultimate in predictions to hold on to your Capricorn because here it comes. Based on my infallible calculations, I predict that an earthquake will rock this area when the sun is in the seventh house. Jupiter aligns with Mars, the moon is over Miami, and the dish runs away with the spoon. According to the astrologer, the earthquake is scheduled to clobber us tomorrow at midnight. It's expected that California will break away from the mainland and begin floating out across the Pacific Ocean. And now, a woman's look at the weather with Roberta Robinson. Pretty heavy news, huh? So the astrologer, yeah, throws out a bunch of random predictions. Uh, moon over Miami, uh, in the seventh house, uh, uh, dish ran away with the spoon. And you think maybe that he is going to do something, sort of plan something to make all that come true. So when the earthquake hits, it it all makes sense. But no, no, it, uh, that's not what happens. We actually, we go to his... Um, his headquarter area, which looks a lot like the other villains' headquarters areas, except No Face, which was the, the movie studio. And he's there with Castor and Pollux, his two henchmen, who do that thing where one of them starts to talk, and then the other one finishes the sentence. Except at one point at the beginning, where, like, say something, they, they do something like, um, I'm going to go over there and, and do this. And, and you think, oh, is, is it meant to be that they're kind of dumb and they're slightly off and they, they finish each other's sentences, but there are some word words that kind of get, you know, that show up in both of their, when both of them speak. Um, but no, no, later on when they talk, it's very much differentiated. You know, one of them says, I'm going to the bathroom, not I'm going to, to the bathroom. So that's a little, little bit of a weird moment there. Uh, and I could have sworn at one point when, when, um, uh, gopher there is um walt is is raising the um the uh the top of the crime computer uh sarcophagus and the crime computer is rising up i could have sworn because they really show it it creaks and it goes and it moves and it works pretty good but i could have sworn at one point i saw like a shadow like like they you're looking at it from the front where the crime computer is rising up and the lid is going into the background but i could have sworn watching the shadow that i saw like someone move like maybe catching the the um uh, uh, lid and lowering it slowly. I might not have though. I didn't go back and check because uh, I didn't. I didn't think it was right. I didn't think it was. Not, I didn't. I think, didn't think it was very nice of me to do that. So we meet the astrologer and Castor and Pollux, who are kind of dumb, and the astrologer gives us his his plan. We we see a large like gray globe 
globe shape, not a globe, sitting on a pedestal. And here's uh, here's the plan. Ah, it's working out even beyond my fiendish imagination. And after tomorrow, the doubting Thomases of this nation will know that I am the one, the true astrologer. And as they crawl out from under the rubble, they will hail me as the genius that I am. You mean there really is? Gonna be an earthquake tomorrow? Use your thick Pollocks. I'm Pollocks, he? Gaster. Why can't you dunderhead wear name tags? Or dress differently or something? We do, boss. You still get us. Us mixed up. But to answer your question, uh, that is to say, your question, whoever's question, nobody can predict an earthquake. Not even I. The great astrologer, pilot of the astral planes, the renowned reader of thoughts. However, it will look like I know what I'm talking about. And after my predictions come true, the entire world, all of Pittsburgh and part of Cleveland, will pay homage and a great deal of money to hear my predictions. We shall be rich. Beyond our wildest dreams of avarice. Is that why we get... Except this paperweight from the government arsenal? That isn't a paperweight. It's an atomic bomb. Oh, and it's somewhat dangerous. Come. Now then, pay attention. Here's my plan. We're going to take that kinky atomic bomb. And we're going to place it here. Right in the middle of the San Angelica Hawk. Then... We'll set the detonator to exactly 12 midnight. That's when all scary things happen. Ah! It's all in the stars. According to my horoscope, everything will occur exactly as I say it will. Can you trust your horoscope to come true? How could it fail? I wrote it myself. <laughs> Enough! Let us go and do our delightful, demented, and dirty deed. <laughs> so the astrologer places the, the bomb, sets it to midnight, turns it on. There's an actual on and off switch. And lo- and an actual like clock, like with like like on a grandfather clock where you can move the hands with your finger. And he lowers it into a well in the middle of Old MacDonald's farm, which is the perfect spot. Uh, what is it? The San Angelica Fault? And they, they got all kinds of gags in this one. There's you, you heard like the woman doing the Barbara Walters, Barbara Wawa impersonation. Uh, you, you heard the mention of a Mary Hartburn. Uh, what else do they do? Oh, for, for some reason when Drac, uh, when Drac is, is on the Old MacDonald farm, at one point when he tries to turn into a bat and he's been shot at and he raises his arms, he goes, Oh, me a pharaoh. And then later on he says, like, Oh, Schopenhauer. I thought those are strange. I guess I I don't know why he he says th- those things. Um, they don't they don't quite work as strange exclamations, but they certainly are things that are being said. And I think forgive me if I'm wrong. Is the old McDonald farm I think is is located in the Frankie Valley, so they got a lot of stuff gags going on in this you know if you if you're like if you're like i I don't know under 80 you won't get most of the jokes i'm kidding if you're listening to this show i don't think it matters what age you are you'll probably get like most of those jokes when you hear them although the saint angelica fault my first thought is angelica houston but that doesn't have anything to do with it so i'm not 100 percent sure what the saint angelica fault means but i'm sure it's obviously a joke because why not call it the san andreas i guess is that andreas angelica is that there's something in there that i'm missing and to be honest i'm gonna leave it hanging i'm gonna someone's gonna hear this and go dan you are such a fool and comment or or tell me about it but as with the shadow under the lid I decided to le- let this one ride. Something to look forward to. You know, next time I watch this show, I can maybe look that up. It'll be you know, something to look forward to. But so Drac goes... Uh, so so, so it's, actually, it's actually nice of them because they all go to sleep and we see them and it's going to be the next day at midnight and we see them sort of... Fro- I, 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 I like this concept. So they're, they're these wax figures that come to life and whenever they rise up whenever they're told to when the crime computer is activated that's when they come back to life when the crime computer is shut down that's when they are uh they're wax again i i just a little vague and i'm not sure of the scientific principles behind this but we actually see you know they there's a point where officer mcmack mac is from the um 
you know, Mr. Mephisto, right? I think he, he locks everyone out and the property taxes are raised. He's pacing back and forth by the monsters as they're all standing there. And um, and it's funny because part of me is like, you, you do see it like in one of the episodes, I think they, they run up and they, and they act like they're wax, but they're not not really or maybe they are but i don't i don't know if maybe maybe it's like a little space they go into or like when they stand in that space they become they turn into wax and then when the crime computer gives them a zap they come out of it i don't know i mean i know they don't apart from when they're standing there all day and when they hide there a couple times they don't hang around in that space probably because you know it's like it will be hanging around your bed all day i guess which doesn't, doesn't sound bad if you have a very comfortable bed but i guess um Frank's the only one that gets to sort of lie back, lay back and, 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 and relax. The other guys have to stand up all day. But if they turn into wax, and it doesn't really matter that they stand up all day. They're okay. But then when they wake up, they always stretch like they just woke up. Or at least at least the werewolf really gives it a good stretch. Um, yeah, I wonder about that because you see Officer McMacMac kind of wandering back and forth in front of them. And they're standing there. And obviously it's, it's the actors who are standing there. They don't have wax figures. And they do a good job of not focusing on them. But there is, a, there is during the point when Walt is, is bringing up the crime computer and the camera's just sitting there watching it, you can see Bruce in the background, and he's moving just a little bit, as you would expect him to. He's a, he's a human. He can't stand um, perfectly still. And But then the crowd computers activate and they come to life. Have they not come out in the daytime before? I didn't really pay attention to that. I mean, I know they're supposed to come out at night because Walt's there at night. He's the night watchman, so it would be only at night. But I haven't actually sort of gauged the, the timing to see whether or not everything's been taking place tonight. Because this very specifically starts off with he makes the announcement. They're like, well, we can't do anything until... I think they say almost like it's almost sun up or sunrise or something like that. They they, they go to bed and, and, and Walt goes away. And I guess I guess they're just at night. And that never occurred to me. I mean, obviously the, the van always goes out at night. I'm trying to think. Yeah, I guess it's always at night, huh? The bees, the bee, the... I think the bee... Well, no, not really. I was going to say the bee thing is slightly strange because that's that's implied that that kind of goes all around the world, but yet the Monster Squad, I guess, are taking care... I guess they take care of everything in the middle of the night, right? Or... or I, I don't know. I mean, it, it is... I mean, if it's... If the episodes are set in the time period when they air in October, I'm here right now, and it's November 4th where I am right now, and it's... Um, it's 6.30, and it's been dark out for like 10, 15 minutes. We're hitting daylight savings tomorrow, and daylight savings time was in October back then. So so they, they, they would, have, it would have been getting dark at 5.30, or early, I mean, yeah, earlier. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this. I'm just, it just, it just didn't occur to me until this where they very, because in the previous episodes, once they start investigating, that's, they continue investigating. But in this one, they very specifically stop investigating. And you see you see Walt arrive and talk with Officer McMacMac. And it's great because Officer McMacMac says he's a, he's a little worried because he heard someone stole a 30-year-old atomic bomb that's pretty unstable. And when Walt brings the guys back to life, he's like, you know, I don't think the astrologer, who, who as you heard, Barbara, as, as the, the woman on the news say there, that the astrologer is always wrong suddenly the astrologer is, is kind of convinced that he's going to be right and he says like i don't think the different you know like a missing uh and, and i'd play you this um i'd play you this sound clip maybe i should play let me play you a little bit of this sound here's 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 walt talking to officer mcmacmac hi yeah i'm afraid we're closing early today officer mcmacmac oh and i didn't mean to stay so late walt you know it's it's so peaceful and quiet here and sometimes when i have a problem i like to just drop by and, and do my thinking here are you worried about the earthquake, huh? <laughs> no, no, no. No, I'm uh, worried about a, a real problem. In fact, you might say it's explosive. Why don't you tell me what's bothering you? Maybe I can help. It seems as though someone got into the government arsenal and stole an atomic bomb. No. Now, what I'm telling you is not public knowledge yet, so don't go spreading it around. We don't want our good citizens to get their bones in an uproar. Well, I know what you mean, Officer McMacMac. In the hands of the wrong people, an atomic bomb is pretty dangerous. Ah, oh, but that's not the half bit, my boy. It seems as though they say the bomb was a small one, but it's over 30 years old, and that makes it very unstable. In fact, the darn thing could go off at any time, and I certainly don't want to be around when it goes kaboom. <laughs> I suppose I should get back to the station house and then find out if there's any more news. <laughs> so long, my boy. 
Good night, sir. Full disclosure, the reason why I stopped doing sound bites just happened to me. And it happened several times when I used to do sound bites all the time. It's one of the reasons why I stopped. The when I do sound bites and there's a sound bite, I don't I don't do one continuous file where I talk about the episode and then edit in the sound bites. I do a file. When I get to a sound bite, stop, save that file, start a new file. This is this is Astrologer 4, but the second time I'm doing it. Because I discovered when I was all done recording and I was all set to relax and get a little dinner and watch a movie that uh, the fourth file didn't save properly. So basically the big chat I'm doing in the middle, the, the main chat for this episode, didn't save. So I just talked for 16 minutes about this episode and it didn't save because of the sound bites. So this may be the last one I do sound bites on. Uh, everybody because now at this point I, I don't have time to go back and listen to everything I did so I'm going to try not to repeat myself but I don't fully remember what I talked about but we're going to dive right in and say that I like this episode quite a bit but yeah yeah so I, I think this is like this is a this is a darn good episode yes the scene with uh, Frank and uh, Bruce in the clam uh, is kind of repetitive and dragged on a bit too much like the the bear scene a pre- few episodes ago or the scene with the music man where they're locked in the in the in the thing with the music playing it, it does go on a bit too much and it's got a really weird edit where we go to a commercial and, and frank and drac are being lowered into a giant clam that's going to eat them in a net and then when it cuts back from the commercial they're like frank somehow the net is kind of gone it's sort of there but it's kind of gone and frank is holding everything open and bruce is gradually slipping in i love the fact that bruce drops into the giant clam and comes out a few minutes later and he ate the clam I'm not 100% certain, like if a shark eats you, that's one thing, or like a killer squid or something, that, that's another. But like the, cl- the giant clam, like when, like there was a Batman, like in the previous episode, No Face's idea, uh, planets taken from a Batman, 1960s Batman uh, episode. And, and this, the eaten by the giant clam, I think Batman and, and, and Robin were almost eaten by a giant clam in that three-parter with the Joker and the Penguin. And I don't fully understand like a, the giant clam, the way it works, does like, like how like they're almost completely inside the giant clam and it's not eating them yet how does that work like like bruce when bruce is when you can't see bruce anymore and he's completely in the clam then he's being eaten but when like all of his body but like from the shoulder up are not in the clam he's not being eaten i don't understand i don't understand the way giant clams eat people i'll be the first to admit it it's like a venus flytrap kind no if you're holding open the flytrap it can't but then when it closes i don't know yeah that's the only weak part of the episode to me is that the clam stuff is a little like okay get it going but it is intercut with drac trying to disarm the bomb which has some suspense to it although i might call it more anxiety than suspense because there's there's a moment where the astrologer goes up to an hourglass with the sand going through it and he said these are the days of our no he says 30 seconds to catastrophe or apocalypse or whatever it is he says cataclysm it is sort of weird like the concept behind the astrologer is he's the local tv network's astrologer who always gets it wrong but he just he stole an old 30 year old atomic bomb and he's going to place it on a fault set it off and blow california into the pacific ocean so now people will listen to his astrology stuff that's pretty nuts in the end it says he goes to jail for 20 years to life he's not in asylum he should possibly be in an asylum jonathan harris is fine as the astrologer he doesn't really do much apart from that opening scene uh, the scene that i played for you and again he's not really much of a he's not really much of a master criminal i mean yeah he, he stole an old bomb uh, from some place but that's the main thing he does right he he predicts an earthquake it doesn't happen he has a giant clam for some reason that he puts the two members of the monster squad in but the only thing he really does that's illegal is he steals an old bomb which i guess is pretty illegal but but it isn't like he's there's been a crime wave or anything so it's it's a bit of a weird villain but it's kind of fun too because he's not like a regular villain he's just like a guy who's failing at his job who decides to go a little cuckoo and I like that. Uh, now I will say, yeah. So the thirty seconds to cataclysm, and then the very next scene where Drac is on the old McDonald farm, and he pulls the bomb out of the well, and he talks to Walt, who has a book called How to Defuse a Thirty-Year-Old Nuclear bo- Atomic Bomb. That scene is a minute long, so there's a bit of weirdness where, you know, they they make a point of saying thirty seconds, 
And then the next scene is one minute long. And at the end of it, the bomb hasn't been defused. I'll tell you... I'll tell you the two... The two I'm going to tell you the two things that I think make it okay that, that it doesn't go off. And then I'm going to tell you what I thought they were going to do. Because what ends up happening is, is Drac takes it off the hook from the well, opens it up, pulls a couple wires out, it's diffused, and then he has to kick it to make sure it doesn't go off, which is amusing. Then he gives it a really big kick. But what we learn later on is that the uranium in it had gone stale, so it wouldn't have exploded anyways. So I think the two things that make the futzing around, which is really anxiety. I got I got some I was getting anxious when Drac was taking so long to, to do to do what he needed to do. I thought that well, one of three things. One, uh, the 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 timer on it is like, like I, th- I I don't know if I mentioned it's like a, it's like yeah it's like a grandfather clock sort of like like um uh, you know there's a there's a minute hand and an hour hand that you move with your finger around the around the um, around the around the numbers. So there's a good chance that that's it being thirty years old. Maybe that's a little off. So he set it at midnight, but it's really kind of set like, but but maybe like it's really kind of set at like twelve oh three or something like that. Plus, the second thing is that he's using an hour, the astrologer is using an hourglass, so maybe the sands are a little off. And the third thing is, maybe the bomb did go off at midnight, but because the uranium was stale, nothing happened. So that explains to me, that, that covers that for me. I thought what was actually going to happen, since we see the little clock thing with the two hands that you can move around, and the on-off switch, I thought what was, what was going to happen was he was, was going to pull the bomb out, contact Walt, Walt, you know, say, we've only got 10 seconds. Walt, what do I do? Have a look at the front of the thing. Do you see a clock? Yes, I do. Do you see a switch underneath the clock? Yes, I do. We only have five seconds, Walt. Is it say on and off? Yes, it does. Turn it off. Click. You're good. Or I thought he, like, like it's sort of unplugging the bomb and naked gun two and a half. Uh, I, or I thought what he was going to do was maybe, like with five seconds left, put his finger on the hour hand and turn the hour hand ahead to like five o'clock, and then when midnight hits, it doesn't go off because now they got another five hours. They don't do that, however. They do it sort of. Say, I do like that it's pull the puce wire. Yeah, there are a lot of great little puns and, and moments in here. The uh, old McDonald's farm is in the Frankie Valley. Uh, for some reason, Drax sort of exclamations. He lets out two exclamations: "Mia Farrow and Schopenhauer." Which seem like strange explanations, exclamations, but they're they're fun anyways. And the San Angelica fault I don't get, but I'm sure it's great. The the Barbara Walters, Barbara Wawa esque uh, newsreader, and Carlo the clam is probably something too that I don't know. But uh, but there's all kinds of little gags and like uh, for grown ups to catch and little bits here. And they recommend like in the beginning you heard the the head head and shoulders stuff and and Mary Heartburn and there's a lot of great little gags and things thrown in here. The Monster Squad are very helpful, but it has to be at nighttime. There's a great thing in the end where they're going to get another. There's a funny gag I, I uh, uh, which I'll I'll let you. I won't put in a sound, but I'm not going to put in another sound bite. Well, actually, I'm going to put in another sound bite in a moment, but I'm not putting an extra one in this because I'll lose the file again. But but there's a funny bit at the end talking about like um, they're going to give you the country's greatest honor award. The country's they're going to give you uh, the country's greatest honor award. At a, at a, at a um, ceremony, and of course the guys can't be there because they're monsters, but they'll receive it in absentia. And Drax says something like, "What's the award called?" He's, and Walt says, "Well, that's what it's called, the country's greatest honor award." I like that. But yeah, there is something I wonder about, like how exactly it works. So they are wax figures during the day when the crime computer is shut, but when the crime computer is open and Walt is there, they come to life. I don't fully understand. I don't think you're meant to understand it. I don't know if, how exact the science is on that, but it's still fun regardless. So overall, like I said, this is another darn good episode of the show. I think I think it's really cooking now, and if it can keep up this quality through the rest of the episodes, I think you know, like I said, the, the first two episodes were weak, um, but it's been strong ever since then. I mean, that's the tricky thing with the show, right? Like if if you've never seen it and you start with the first episode. There's every good chance you'll get to the end of it and go, ooh, no more. But the show gets better. So trust me, trust me, I'm seven episodes in. The show gets better. So uh, that's, that's uh, the, oh, one more thing, one more thing. All right, we go to Old McDonald's Farm and we see in two brief scenes, we see Old McDonald when he's shooting down 
uh, the bat, Dracula's a bat, and when he talks briefly to Dracula, I want to play you those clips real quick right here. Fingers crossed that I can save this file and you're not hearing me do this a third time. You ever seen a bat in these parts before? Mabel, let's give that critter a run for his money. Oh, oh howdy, mister. You seen any wounded bats flopping around these parts? Bats? What would I know about bats? I am a hockey fan. Do you want to talk about pucks? <laughs> You may not recognize the voice, but that would be Frank Cady, Mr. Sam Drucker, the gentleman who runs the general store in Hooterville. One of uh, the Henning Verse's most uh, frequently appearing characters. He's um, one of the main secondary characters in Petticoat Junction. He is one of the main people. He, he has almost one scene, at least one scene an episode in almost every episode of Green Acres and he appears in about half a dozen or so episodes of Beverly Hillbillies. So it's nice to see him in this. This is obviously, this is about five years after that ended. I'm sure I know it's funny, like he was younger than he was made out to be in Green Acres, but here he actually starting to look sort of his age but then, you know He'd been doing this stuff a while. so But it's it's nice to see him here. He's only here briefly. And the first time he shows up, he's standing like in a field with the, the Mabel thing. He's standing in a field right in front of an outhouse. Now, he's not shown coming out of the outhouse. He shows wa- he's shown walking by it. But I like the fact that, you know, in the, it's old McDonald Farm and we're out in the middle of nowhere. And there's a well and an outhouse. That's fun. So, yeah, so it's nice to see Mr. Drucker showing up here. Maybe he retired and bought the Douglas Farm. The Douglas went back to New York City. I don't know. Maybe. So, yeah, that's Episode 7 of Monster Squad, everyone. And next time we will be back with uh, Max Headroom, uh, Season 1, Episode 5, and Episode 8 of Monster Squad. Looking forward to talking with you all. Next time we will be talking Season 1, Episode 5 of Max Headroom. And episode 8 of Monster Squad, I look forward to chatting about it. And I look forward to having you hear me and Tim S. Turner chatting about it. Listen to this. My name's Walt. I work as night watchman here at Fred's Wax Museum to put myself through criminology college. It used to be very lonely until recently when I plugged in my crime computer. Suddenly, oscillating vibrations brought to life three legendary monsters.